Welcome to The Being Leader. I'm Annabel Graham. Welcome to this episode of The Being Leader, the podcast that discusses how we need to show up and be as leaders, reflecting on what impacts our behaviours, our relationships and our outcomes, and allows us to focus more on our approach to leading ourselves, our teams and our organisations. Joining me again today is Preeta Cooley, who we last spoke to back in lockdown one about working well. So seeing as we were back in lockdown, we thought we'd repeat that experiment. Preeta is an executive coach and consultant who provides coaching support to executives across industry sectors who need to build different capabilities or mindsets to step up to a new challenge. Her work facilitates the kind of sustainable change in mindset and behaviours that accelerate performance and help people thrive. So Preeta, so good to have you back again to chew over another topic. Thank you, Annabelle. I was delighted to receive your email inviting me to come back and have another conversation. So thank you. Ah, you're welcome. Yours ended up um, being one of the most popular sessions that we did last year and from a download point of view. So it seemed a really obvious choice to kick off the new year. So today we are going to explore choice. And and literally this conversation could go anywhere. So um, I'll put that out there now. Because for me, it really, um, choice conjures up a very wide landscape to think about. And, and we were just reflecting that before we started thinking about this, we both went to the, di- to the dictionary um, to see, to think about actually what's that definition. So I came up with the one from Merriam-Webster, which describes choice as the opportunity or power to choose between two or more possibilities. So that opportunity or power to make a decision. So what does choice mean to you, Preeta? Well, where shall I start? But um, I'll start with the definition that I took from the dictionary um, because I thought this was quite interesting. So a different choice of words that, that they've used, um, an act of choosing between two or more possibilities. And then underneath it said the choice between good and evil. So choice between. Um, and similar words were offered as option, alternative, possibility, possible course of action, solution, answer and way out. So, so, so that got me thinking that um, choice being such a, such a wide subject, I have my own belief that choice comes through self-awareness. Um, the more understanding we have about our own thoughts and feelings and what's driving them. So thinking of the of the Robert Dilts logical levels, you know, what's below the iceberg. Um, and it, it's all about our values, our identity and, and our beliefs. So I wonder if choice is all down to the beliefs that we have, whether they're conscious beliefs or unconscious beliefs, about about how much power we have to choose. So um, based on Sartre's argument, um, there's no fixed morality of human nature to determine human action. And he believes that, or believed, um, past tense, um, he, that humans have radical freedom. And this means that people have absolute power to choose how they will act in any given situation and in their lives as a whole. But I think probably as, as you and I know, Annabelle, that not, you know, neuroscience has proved that 90%, 95% of our brain activity is beyond our conscious awareness. So there's those little like, gremlins, the unconscious, um, merrily at work. So meaning that just 5% of our cognitive activities, so the choices we make, the, um, the decisions that we take, the emotions that we have, the, the actions that we have, only 5% of it is conscious. So yeah, so for me, choice is all about our, our belief about choice. And that's an interesting one. Because I think when we look at what makes people feel they don't have a choice and we'll come to that because that's another big question um that self-belief or that belief system is an absolutely key thing and and it's that piece about reality and illusion so i i sat also sat down to think about you know what does choice mean to me and i think there's a piece around the concept of free will Hmm. 
you know so and then I got into in, into existentialism which is a bit of a worry but then I listened to a podcast called Modern Wisdom quite a bit and the host of that Chris Williamson's quite fond of a bit of existentialism I mean I've been listening to um just consciousness exists this morning um so you know that was my Monday mo- Monday morning depth but well worth the listen if you know if if uh, if that's something that's of interest but you know because the existentialist philosophy says that there is a belief that we have free will you know no matter how, how small and and I th- but I think there's also you know if I, I and then the determinism side says that we can't have free will because all our decisions and outcomes are determined by a previous event a cause or a choice you know a choice so somebody else has done something so we can't change the set of circumstances that we're in, but we can change what we do with them. You know, personally, I think I, I don't think it's as clear cut as that. I, I think there's a there's probably a mix in there for me because I absolutely agree with you. I think we do an awful lot of things on habit and routine because it's easy for us, you know, and, and sometimes we run with, oh, we're just going to conform to this or we're just going to agree with that. And we're just going to stick in that habitual process that we've always done because actually it serves us you know even though we might bitch and moan about something a little bit actually it it's okay it's not bad enough which is often why people don't change is it's not got bad enough yet and I don't want something different enough yet therefore I'll just stick with what I've got um because it's easier the bit for me is we always have the ability to do something different And that's the bit that's important. We always have a choice, no matter what it is. It doesn't mean we're going to like the choice and it doesn't mean we're going to like the options. You know, they might all be shit, but we do have a choice. And and I I suppose for me, that's that fundamental concept of, you know, free of free will. We've got the ability to do something different, you know, just because you've chosen not to doesn't mean you've got the ability or the freedom to bitch and moan about it. That was actually the option you took. So that's me being a bit controversial. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I do agree with what you're saying, Annabelle. Um, and yes, we can just be on autopilot. We can live our lives on autopilot, never really knowing why we're making the decisions that we're making because we haven't stopped and taken that time out to actually investigate what's driving um, you know, the thoughts and the choices that we're making. And um, somebody asked me the other day about, well, well, how do we come up with our thoughts? And um, the little analogy that I used was when we, um, when we go to turn a light switch on, um, we just hit the switch and, and the electricity turns the light on. But we don't stop and think about, well, how did that electricity actually get to be here to turn my, you know, to turn my spotlights on? And so it's the same with what's going on in the mind. If we have no idea what's actually driving what comes out at the end, so we have, you know, the unconscious level sort of quite often is identity and beliefs, and then coming through in that will drive our thought. And from the thought, we then have that option to pause um, and, and make a choice, has as to how we're going to respond to something. Um, uh, But quite often we're on autopilot and we go from thought to feeling and behavior, um, not knowing where any of that's come from. So, um, but it's that, for me, it's that that little juncture, choice comes in at that juncture when we've had the thought. And and while I was sort of thinking and and, and Googling about about this subject, and a bit like you, I went all over the place, it was terribly random. But um, what came to mind as well was sort of, you know, Viktor Frankl, um, the Austrian neurologist, psychiatrist, philosopher, and an author and Holocaust survivor, and his most well-known work, you know, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, and I, the quote that really resonates is, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. Um, and it is so everything was about choice. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude to any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And and that for me says it all. Um, And then from there, sort of I made the link to Carol Dweck, 
um, and her work on fixed mindset and growth mindset and going through, you know, how do we look at what choice do we make when we're faced with challenges, obstacles, effort and criticism? And also, you know, the success of others. It's our choice as to how, how we frame it, how we look at it, then determines how much free will we have. Um, so, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. How was that landing with you? <laughs> oh, completely. I, I'm a, Interestingly, I've gone to Frankel as well, because I think that is that piece around attitude. And there's a lovely little quote, which I often use with, I use it in my leadership training. I use it with clients and it comes from a guy called Jack Canfield, okay. which sort of builds on that, which is E plus R equals O. Mm-hmm. So event plus reaction equals outcome. Mm-hmm. So, and actually that links back to that determinism theory of we can't change the event. You know, things are going to happen. You know, if you get in the car to drive to wherever you're going and you get cut up by somebody or somebody, you know, drives into you, that, you can't necessarily change what's happened has happened but we can absolutely change how we choose to respond we can choose not to sit there and you know effing blind at the person um, and swear at them and call them every name known to man we can choose to be quite calm about it and it will get us a different outcome and I think this then comes into that piece around self-awareness because I'm a big fan, and I don't know if you've read it, um, Steve Peters' Chimp Paradox. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the model because it's dead easy. People get it. And it goes back to that, you know, how difficult is it for us to be able to recognise that space between the, autom- the automated response and choosing something different is because we don't notice it. It's going so quickly, you know, that autopilot, those bits that are programmed in the computer part of us goes at 20 times the speed we think it's so so strong and the, because the emotional limbic brain gets there faster because it's five times stronger than the prefrontal cortex which is the nice logical bit which we think we're using all the time and as you said we are not it's about five percent it gets very tiring when you use the prefrontal cortex all the time and and i know a lot of the conversations i have around is getting some emotional control into how we work and operate as leaders you know, when I'm working with clients, is getting them to think about, can you just start to notice when you're responding and how you're responding and what those triggers are that make you go off on the automatic racket or pattern that you play? And when do you not? Because that's the, that piece in that noticing is where we get the choice. And, and, I, and I love, I'm a big fan of, um, of the growth mindset piece because it is, but I don't think it's as clear cut. I don't think we're always fixed or grow, you know, gross. If we look at those two parallels, you know, the difference between if I think you said, um, you know, do we learn from the successes of others? Oh, yeah, but we're also still perfectly good at having the bitch of going, really? <laughs> so I don't think it's that clear cut. I think I think we can sit on both camps. But again, it's that noticing and catching when is this not serving me? Yes, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Um, and, and what was coming up for me as you were talking, and it is that noticing, the observation um, of ourselves. But as we know, um, life due to technology has you know, speeded up at a, at a rapid rate. We've got 200,000 year old brains <laughs> that have never had a software upgrade. And suddenly they're, they're, they're not suddenly, but over the last, last decade, um, the, our, our minds have been expected to operate 24 seven without the natural rhythms of relaxation. Um, and so this busyness, I wonder, or I have a strong belief that busyness causes people um, to not be able to sort of sustain attention. So, um, which means if they're not sustaining attention on anything that they're doing, they haven't got that space to actually do, you know, any form of interception, what's going on inside. What am I thinking, feeling and behaving? What's coming up in my body? Oh my God, before you know it, I've reacted. I've, I've you know, not behaved in a way that's going to get me the outcome that I want because they haven't got necessarily got that space. And I mean, I, I've been meditating for, for several years now. I did a, an eight week mindfulness program 
seven or eight years ago. And at first people said, oh, how bizarre. Why are you doing that? You know, I think they all thought I was going to run off and join some sort of weird cult. But amazingly now, it, you know, it's very, very mainstream. And so introducing practices um, that help us to slow down and help, help us to notice what's going on with regards to sort of, you know, in our body, but also also our mind, helps us to see when we are in, you know, a high stakes situations where we need to behave in a, in, a, in a certain way. We need to be very conscious of the decisions, the choices that we're making. It gives us the capacity to do that. So, um, and I know you're a meditator too, Oh, not not so much meditating. I, I would say I'm I do more moving. I'm better with yoga. But bizarrely, it was funny. I was I was reflecting this morning. I was I was spending. I was doing a. I think as I said to you, I did. I had to do a very slow yoga flow this morning because I, I needed to be wrung out physically. Um, but actually, I know when I am concentrating in on that and making the breath work fit with the movement. Mm that that gives you that freedom and space so I'm much better with the moving piece than the sitting down piece I'll be honest but it, but again actually I think this is about finding what works for you mm-hmm. and there isn't a one size fits all I remember having a couple of clients who actually a the yoga bit did help but that wasn't the bit that calmed the brain it was journaling yeah. or it was a puzzle you know so that journaling or drawing it was something that got that focus which is why, I mean, I was reading yesterday, um, no, it wasn't, it was on Radio 4, that craft has gone nuts again, A, because nobody can go out and everyone's bored of Netflix, but actually it quietens the mind. So if you're crocheting or embroidering or cross-stitch, it's a very repetitive thing and it enables you to slow down and concentrate. So... I think if people are listening there are going, oh, do you know what? Meditation's not my bag. You know, it's a bit too woo. Um, I can't sit there, contemplate my navel for 10 minutes. Well, you know, it might not be 10. It could be two. Or actually, it could be just downloading your thoughts into a book so your wife or your partner or your husband or girlfriend or whoever doesn't get that crap because they don't need it. Um, it's finding a way to download it. But I think there's something else that contributes to it. You're absolutely right about the speed. But I think it's also within that, and it absolutely links back to the technology piece you were talking about earlier, is if you think about, you know, the days when um, you and I grew up, when if you were going to have a conversation, you'd have to either physically see somebody or ring them. You know, so you spent, you know, your evenings when you wanted to chat to your friend were sat on the stairs in the hall, nine times out of 10, freezing your backside off because there was no radiator in there. It's either that or it's just me and, you know, child of the 70s. But but that was what happened. So so we had that time to be bored, to think about what we thought. Whereas actually with all of the social media that we have, you know, so whether it be through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or just through the way in which we communicate. So it could be through the podcast that we listen to or what we watch. We end up living in an echo chamber and an echo chamber that actually often reinforces a really enclosed view of things. So we don't get that wider viewpoint. And in some ways that can extrapolate and and I think intensify what people are thinking and believing. And actually they don't get a different view, which can be so difficult because you don't have, instead of, having the chance to notice you don't you just get a reinforcer and that actually isn't helpful when you were talking what was coming up for me was going back to that word choice because yeah we do seem to live in a world um you know we're performing in a world of too much and immediacy we're we're bombarded but as far as i'm concerned and and you'll know from our conversations about my ideas for manifesto for a good working life you know as far as I'm concerned busyness isn't an inevitable consequence of modern life and thinking about senior leaders that I've um, I've worked with client-wise and when they come to me um, you know I've had some that are absolutely exhausted and I'll say well how many hours are you working and this is very much for 
Follow the Sun global organizations. And I never forget there was there was one senior leader who said to me, well, have meetings that can start at 5 a.m. with India. And then I could be asked to attend meetings 10 o'clock at night. And, and, you know, it was like, so why are you choosing to do that? Oh, but I don't have a choice. Everybody has a choice. So it goes, choice in those sort of, in that, in that sort of scenario is all down to determining boundaries. And also thinking about what do I need to be able to take for myself to perform incredibly effectively in my role. And, you know, by just after a couple of sessions, once we'd sort of worked out what was important to this particular individual, and they've got a routine for getting up, um, doing some form of exercising, uh, planning um, some, and um, and reviewing before meetings, so review and plan, um, and actually setting in stone start and finish times that could, okay, wave slightly, but with a caveat that something else needed to give somewhere else. The individual said, oh my God, I feel so great, first of all. And I said, and, and how do you... You know, what about your performance level? Oh my God, I am getting through so much work and I'm so much more effective. I'm not just dragging myself from meeting to meeting and then thinking, oh God, when am I ever going to get anything done? Because I, I have chosen how I am going to, how I'm going to work and, and what works for me. So I absolutely concur with that. And I think we see it a lot and I think it's got worse over the last 12 mm. months. Mm, um, yes. But it, yeah, it's absolutely, we, there's a challenge, I think, especially when we have people in global roles, that you do have these downsides and you've got to work out where that piece is and, and where you get that time. And I think we get this, this worry that flexible working means we've got to always be there and it actually drives a presenteeism piece, especially mm. when it's remote. And I can absolutely, um, you know, empathise with those comments that if I think about lots of the clients and the delegates I work with over the last 12 months have gone, well, it's just madness. I'm back to back Teams meetings all of the time. And they find it a bit odd when I borrow a phrase from a speaker for a speaker colleague I work with who just goes, well, your diary's your fault. So why have you said yes to it? And they sort of look at you as if to go, it's a bit rude. It's like, well, you accepted it. Well, I can't say no. Yeah, you can. And actually, I think there's this, this challenge around choice and, and an expectations conversation about going back to, you know, our boss or the stakeholder or the customer. Because, oh, God, we can't say no to the customer. Bollocks. Of course you can say no to the customer. They're human. If you go back and say, I'm really sorry, I've got a prior meeting with somebody else. You know, so for me, one of my really, a value that's really important to me is commitment. So I don't cancel meetings unless I really don't have to. I mean, I can count on one hand, I think, how many I've cancelled over the last 12 months. I just don't do it. I'm very chilled if people cancel me. That doesn't bother me. But what it means is, is when someone comes in and says, oh, can you just stick a meeting in on that day? And I go, I've got prior commitment. And occasionally somebody will go, can you just change it? Very easy for me to say no. Who says you're more important than they are? That's ridiculous. And that concept, I think, of understanding boundary and having that agreement is so crucial, especially now when we've done the, the thing that nobody thought, which we've, we've moved to remote working and guess what? Businesses have carried on and thrived and it's all been fine. But unfortunately, what we haven't done is chosen to change the way in which we run our meetings in between. So we've just replicated nine to five working and dumped it online and we're gradually killing our workforce who are just, who need time, you know? And, and that's the challenge. It's, it's saying, let's think about how we're now choosing to run our day. And if for you, I mean, we were talking earlier about my neighbor who's got two, who's got two kids, his wife, his wife's a teacher, so she's still in work. Um, he's got two under 11 who are homeschooling and he's working from home, who's gone, actually, do you know what? Let's just get most of it done between seven and nine because then I can concentrate on getting these guys set up. And it's being flexible and choosing how we choose to work. 
Yes, yeah. And it is, I so concur with you, with the sort of, you know, sh- people thinking, well, surely, you know, that's just the way it is. But it, 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 it isn't. And I, and I think that takes us back to self-awareness, this understanding sort of our own model of reality, um, which, you know, based in our own minds um, about how we see ourselves, how we see the world and how we see other people. Um, and because our models are totally unique and they're based on our personal experience very much from our formative years, if, for instance, somebody grew up in a family system where, you know, it, it was sort of anyone senior to us in that work world was very much revered and expected and, you know, respected and we did exactly what that person told us then, you know, the individual will, will probably never, ever question that until perhaps they get the opportunity to work with a coach or do some work with, work themselves um, to raise that level of self-awareness. Oh, how is that belief serving me now um, in the present climate, my present role? What, what might be a, a more healthier way of looking at this? And also, how can I how can I then go about getting what I want and need um, and still be able to sort of, you know, work incredibly effectively? Because I think at the moment, I mean, I wonder how many people are being really effective um, in their roles because, you know, no one can work under exhaustion. We know that, that Denmark has, you know, one of the highest productivity rates in Europe, but has, um, you know, one of the lowest in number of working hours. So somehow they still produce an awful lot, but um, they're not doing it tied to their desks all day, every day. Life is important. And going back to that idea of, you know, crafting or baking or painting, or we need all these other other areas of our lives um, to actually support us and nourish us. If, if it's, you know, all work makes Jack a dull boy, I think is the saying, isn't it, from decades and decades ago. But, um, but yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if that piece that you said, you know, it's that, why do people sometimes feel that they don't have a choice and it can be that dominance dynamic you know whether it comes from a paternalistic you know story that we tell ourselves whether it's oh well someone's senior therefore they must know more therefore I must say yes or whether it's the boss always speaking first all of these things I mean in, in the worst stage it's bullying restriction you know but equally that feeling of I have no choice I am compelled you know we end up with people who, and I think it comes, you know, what, if I think about the impact that this shows up on with people and the challenges that I know I find is people can't, don't necessarily see the options they have mm-hmm. because we've got blinkered, because we've either had the echo chamber or everyone's feeling the same way, or we've constantly tried the same thing, but they're all just variations of the same thing. We haven't sussed that. Then we've, we can't see alternative perspectives. We can't see that reframing that's so important for us, you know, for, which we do in coaching they don't sometimes know any different there's a lack of knowledge or awareness not saying that person is any less intelligent than another it's just not within their experience sphere and that ends up with things that are you know they're overwhelmed or it goes back to the bit where I said before you know people don't the choices they see are just so unattractive therefore they feel they have no choice yeah um yes and as you said that what came up for me was going back to something else that you said which was the stories we have in our head so it depends on the story you know after we've had that thought this is what I want to do oh no I can't because and then we could come up with a very negative story and because the conscious mind is there to sort of protect us it's the survivalist element of us um you know we're we're um, more likely to come up with negative Um, connotations as to well if I did say to my boss could we do this this, and this instead Um, but I suppose to an extent perhaps it's more about the degree of power we believe we have within ourselves as opposing as opposed to sort of placing power and often responsibility in the hands of others so going back to that what we were talking about earlier about 
being comfortable and in our comfort zone if we abdicate responsibility and say well it's not up to me it's all happening because of you know so and so or this circumstance or or that particular person within the organization then then we're literally giving away our power but the more responsibility we're prepared to take for ourselves um you know um for how we think how we feel how we behave and the possible consequences of that the greater the degree of freedom that we have not only within our working life but sort of life life in general that though takes me back to your your frankel quote though that mm. if we stop blaming other people that means we the only people who's down to blame is us and that's the hard bit because that means you know if, you, if you've done deflecting and and you know you you are forced to no longer blame it on, you know, the circumstances, the organisation, your boss, your team, or whatever it may be. If you've actually got to hold the mirror up and look at yourself, that means actually then we've got to do something different. And sometimes that is too difficult or is such a choice that actually, and I think it goes back to that. Um, the other option is too big. So I, I was... Um, I found a lovely little RSA animate talk by Renata Salachi, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that's right. But what she said is, you know, choice always brings a loss. So in that piece about um, choosing to do something different um, or knowing that actually it's, we've got to change ourselves, that means we've got to give something up. And that might just be the status quo. Mm -hmm. or the circumstances that exist currently. And actually, they might be helping. They might be serving something that still has worse to me. Therefore, that's, therefore my, that line becomes my, my challenge that can paralyze me of going, actually, if I change this, the implication of my choice is either means I lose something which is equally still important to me, or it's so big that something which I don't want to contemplate. I think that can come up and cause problems as well. Yes, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And what came up for me was that, you know, what are we motivated by? You know, are we motivated by fear or desire? So perhaps it's that balance, the risk taking of the desire of having something different that could be so much better or the fear of disrupting the, the status quo. Um, but I, in my experience, I've noticed that, that people, when they realize that they want some sort of change, but they're, they're, they're abdicating responsibility, quite often it's down to a fear of having the conversation um, or, you know, where, whatever it might be. But it, it is often that fear of having difficult conversations because we all want to be, thought of, you know, people want to be thought of as nice. And, and quite often what, what I've experienced is people actually saying, I don't know how to go about having this conversation. So there is always choice because being able to um, actually articulate what it is that, that's stopping you making the choice that you feel will be better for, for you um, gives you a way of or working with somebody would you know whether it be a friend or, or a colleague or, or, or a coach would give you a way to actually come up with going back to what choice is choosing between two or more possibilities or, or the power to choose so um so I wonder sometimes if it's getting over that hurdle of identifying what it is that's stopping us, making a choice that we feel might actually be better for us, and then actually having the having the wherewithal, <laughs> um, knowing what to do to actually that's going to help you get a, get the result that you want. Mm, I think yeah, I think that definitely is the case. I mean, I know I spend a lot of time with organisations. Um, I, I don't think I know a programme where I haven't got a difficult conversation framework <laughs> sat in there. It just happens without fail every single time because people hate it. You know, yeah. I don't want to do that because then you're going to feel bad. I'm going to feel bad. Therefore, I just don't have the conversation. At the same time, I think there's also another aspect of that. You know, you were saying earlier, we're really good at thinking about what can happen. So our inner critic is brilliant at catastrophizing, And 
And I think we create so many stories around what will happen if I have this conversation, Both, all of which are usually quite cataclysmic. Hmm. And actually, sometimes they could be. You know, sometimes, and it goes back to the, do I want it enough? Is it bad enough? You know, if I think back, and this is this is quite an extreme example, but but one which, you know, many people may recognise, you know, if I think back 20 odd years ago, and I won't go into the details surrounding it because there's somebody else in that relationship and they don't decide to deserve to have it plastered over a, a podcast. But I walked out of, a, of my then marriage. I had no job. I had nowhere to live. I had to change countries and I had no money. That's not a decision that came lightly. And, and it sat, and for years I ignored it because actually the decision is, has so many ramifications that the impact of making that choice, it's got to be either bad enough or I've got to want it enough. You know, so, and, and I thought, you know, it's, that, that's why people don't leave marriages. That's why they stay in them for years is because it's the status quo is easier to maintain than to make the decision because the and you know what actually it was probably the best thing I ever did because I came out you know you you then are you go well you know nothing can be quite as bad as that so it doesn't really matter any choice I make because it'll be fine um but that can I think you know when people are in you know maybe working in an organization that where they hate it and it's having an, an impact on their on their health um, you know, that they're stressed or they're working for a boss who's a bully or whatever it may be. That's why people don't walk away from that, because if I give up my job, then what happens? Mm. You know, so I think I think we can absolutely, you know, have that awareness around a difficult conversation. But sometimes the choice is so big and the impact so major mm. that actually we just put up with it. Yes. Yeah. Well, you were very brave. Take it that leap of faith and the reason why I say faith is because both fear and faith make you believe in something that you can't see um, and it's what we choose do we choose to have going back to choice do we choose to have faith that okay I'm going to do this and everything will work out okay or do we do we look at fear or I call it fear casting you know we create these great as you said you know um catastrophes we catastrophize and yeah i think it's it it it, it, it is something that comes to all of us and i think of the decisions that i've made in my life as well some of them incredibly random and i look back and think gosh why but i think sometimes it, life has a way of like interrupting or sort of creating catalyst sometimes if people are in that situation of believing that it would be good for them um to make a decision but they but they don't um then sometimes something can happen um you know somebody working in, in a in a in a company might have wanted to leave and then hear that they're going to be made redundant and first thought is oh god how's that going to be what am I going to do you know pay my mortgage but then they find that it gives them the opportunity to go on and do something that they really enjoy or find a role that that's perfectly suited you know that's really suited to them where they're using their their strengths and their skills and where they're you know they really feel that they're they're making a difference so and um, and I've spoken to lots of people that have had that sort of journey where oh god I thought it was going to be awful but actually like you said you know it was the best thing I ever did so and I think I can absolutely concur with that piece around redundancy I think is a brilliant example because I mean I've done redundancy three I've been made redundant three times and I think equally like you worked with so many people through it a I've made so many people redundant um which isn't a great thing, but fact of life, but also worked with people who are in that situation. And, and I think there's two things for me about redundancy is often we don't see that it can be suitably positive. And, and I think nine times out of 10, it nearly always is. You know, it nearly always is if you can get a reframe, if you can also get enough distance. If you're in that lucky situation where you get enough money that you can get a bit of space 
before you get another job. Otherwise, I do think we end up in an ejector seat role. And I remember once I very much definitely, because I'd already got the job before I got made redundant, just haven't told anyone. And I ended up in an ejector seat role because I'd got a job which probably wasn't the right one when I got it because I was annoyed with where I was and then luckily got a, got a redundancy out of it. But I think if we can get enough space, we're able to reframe. But equally, there is a piece around loss of identity. Mm-hmm. I think that comes out and that's what can be the most is because we grieve for the role we grieve for who we've maybe for the friendships that we have for the situation that we were in and that can be a real powerful one yes loss is the great thing to all of us to have to you know work through and process but as you say having that space um gives the opportunity for for that for that to happen mm-hmm. um, and I, I wonder if it's if it then is about um and I wonder if we've gone off of, gone off, off track here where I was going with this was how we make you know under what situation are we are we choosing so are we choosing while we're feeling really anxious um, and from that fear-based model, oh God, it's a knee-jerk reaction. I've got to get a job. This is what I'm going to do. So we don't give it any thought. We don't give it any space. Or do we look at it from a place of, well, okay, I can, I notice and observe that I'm feeling really stressed and anxious about this. So I'm just going to chill out for a bit and then I'm going to sit down calmly. So again, it's it's that choice which goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the, the noticing how we're thinking and feeling um, and, and the just general observation of ourselves. We're so focused on what's happening on the outside world and so many people are focused on what's going on on their phone. We seem to be losing um, the connection with ourselves, which is where, where everything sort of, you know, starts and finishes, really. So, Absolutely. And it goes back, as you were saying earlier, around that value system. Mm-hmm. you know um because it's about reassessing you know who am I what do I want to be how do I want to be seen yeah yeah um which requires a bit of thinking and a bit of space and it that may be harder for some people than others so if you think about you know obviously you and I end up working with with people who have chosen to have a thinking partnership with somebody yeah you know, whether that be um, in a developmental, for me, you know, in that developmental workshop piece where you're getting people to think differently through concept or in a coaching conversation, which really is, you know, us acting as a thought provoker. How do we go about either empowering ourselves or empowering others to think differently around choice? Yes. There was, you know, I just want to take back to that um, thinking thing um, because there is a great quote that popped into my head. So I'll just quickly share it and then I'll answer your question, if that's all right, Annabelle. Um, And it's um, Henry Ford, if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. So it is all about how we think about something. But going back to this, how do we empower people? a lot of my work is around raising, uh, enabling people to become more self-aware. So going back to that, um, because I'm fascinated by the impact that self-knowledge has on the choices that we make and on our capacity to make effective decisions and communicate successfully and build better relationships. So a lot of the work that we do within um, the coaching space is um to enable them to form insight, because from insight, one gets awareness, and from awareness brings choice, because we're not going to react on autopilot. We have that ability to stop and recognize so we can respond. So that's that's what came up for me when we were thinking about how do we enable ourselves and others? Mm. And, and I think, from you know from there once we have choice we we tend to start to take more responsibility 
we're not on autopilot, we're not abdicating responsibility, which gives us a greater degree of motivation and motivation usually then forms action. Um, and I'm all about action sometimes, um, which gives us achievement and performance and results, which is, you know, what, what we're all aiming for. So it's the, the more insight and awareness we have, the more choice we have in, in any given situation. I think it also brings back control, which is so, so helpful for people is we feel that we are in control because it's not being done to us. We're making the choice to do something. And I think that can have a huge impact on people. Yeah, I'm smiling there, the word control. Um, I wonder if we actually have control over anything. Um, I wonder if it's we're in charge of it, are in charge of what we're doing. Um, rather than actually actually controlling it so yeah um back into the existentialist fear sphere there Rita. <laughs> do i need to do another one on control and just have an entire yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah well, we save that for lockdown four yeah oh god no we don't want to do the lockdown surely um, um, i'm never dancing on my own in the kitchen you know <laughs> But, you know, when I thought about it, I thought, actually, I think whether it be our role as a coach or whether it be us as individuals, I think it's about finding possibilities mm. and, and opening our eyes to different possibilities. And that sometimes means getting out the echo chamber, you know, maybe not talking to the same friends who are reinforcing the stories or, you know, it's getting a different viewpoint because I think we struggle sometimes with that diversity, which then throws another challenging maybe from the coaching point of view because you know obviously we when we all get trained in most of the spaces it's about being non-directive and sometimes this awareness that everyone's got the the ideas but actually if we're not if we're sat in that zone where we can't see the options we sort of need someone to give us some uh, some extra ones because actually we and I, I'm a big fan of doing this sometimes in sessions when people aren't coming up with enough ideas, because actually there's a couple of things going on there. There's a blocker. There's either a lack of knowledge or they just can't see it or they just need a reframe. And it's not about me saying, well, I think you need to go and do this. You know, if we're staying in that non-directive mode, but it doesn't mean I can't throw another six things into the bag and go, here you go. This is what's coming up for me. And I'm thinking of now, what do you think of all of that stuff? Because actually it just makes the pool of choice bigger. And I think that sometimes can be really useful for people is just alternatives. If I think about the amount of times people have gone, oh, I've never thought of that or I didn't see it that way. And that's where that diversity of thought outside the echo chamber is so useful. And it's not new, it's not amazing. It's not somebody's, you know, amazing bright idea it's just one other person's day-to-day -day is somebody else's newness and I think that can be a really useful way of thinking about it yes yes and as you were speaking what came up for me um, was thinking about diversity of thought and how in organizations there's the sort of you know um people like me PLA is it PLA? yeah people like me um so some organizations like to have a set of people that are all from a similar background you know um, so modes of thought are very, very similar. Um, and you get that group think, whereas allowing diversity of thought or encouraging and saying, you know, we have difference within this, within this organization, we have great difference within this, you know, within our team, within our meeting. And, you know, the greater the range of thoughts, the better, because we're going to have so much more to play with. So it's exactly, exactly as you were saying on a one-to-one -one with the coachee, it's perhaps how do we empower organizations <laughs> to ensure that they're looking at all the choices that they have available to them by bringing in and, the, you know, um, acknowledging and also honoring the diversity of thought as opposed to well no we just don't do it like that round here or no we don't we don't think like that um we couldn't possibly do that so and this is what what everybody needs at the moment it's how can we do things differently that are going to be more effective so 
as you say, the more choices we have, the more that's in there on the table or in the bag to be chosen from, then the better. So, so I'm just thinking about the themes that we've talked through today, and I've scribbled a few down um, to just sort of draw us to a close. And then and I think if I've missed any, shout. So I think one of the fundamental pieces around that self-awareness mm. um, that you raised really early doors, so that noticing understanding what's going on for me understanding when I make certain choices when I don't and actually what's the story that I'm telling myself definitely it's about recognizing possibility and getting out the echo chamber and getting that diversity of thought in what else would you say is really important for us to make sure that we have I think the other thing is if we want to put ourselves in the best position to make great choices, then it is how do we create space in our lives to be able to, to notice what's going on inside um, and to actually think. And it is some sort of investigation as to sort of, you know, the patterns of thinking, feeling and behaving that are, you know, what's driving our, our choices. Because if we have no idea what our values are or, or, or where our beliefs, even that something is a belief, um, we just think it's a given um, and have no capacity to change it or to think differently unless we've investigated it, so. Great shout. So that leaves us with three messages from today. Yeah, great. Which is find space. Yes. Find space, space. and time to notice and reflect. Tap into that self-awareness and understand what's going on for me and notice our thoughts, our choices, our responses, and explore possibility. Yeah, and on the explore possibilities, um, I'd just like to add that sometimes we think there's only one possible way, but if we sit and think about it or ask, you know, you know, ask six people, and they'd all come up with something different. So, you know, remember that it's just because we thought of one thing doesn't mean that that's the only thing. Yeah. Um, I think we're all we can all be guilty of falling in that trap can't we <laughs> absolutely yeah daily brilliant well look thank you for joining me on this exploration of choice which has taken us um you know from the the existentialist theory to um normality and, yeah. and time management of diaries which uh, who knew when we first started um, it's been lovely having you on again thanks Brita oh absolute pleasure I've really enjoyed it thank you Annabelle anytime <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Being Leader. 